Uh, recently, I told you that last month was a very special month for a very important reason. I hope you remember why. But this month also is incredibly special for a very important reason. Because this month is my wife's birthday. Ah! All right, guys, like husbands, you know. And this is the point where we start stressing out about what we're going to get for our wife on her birthday. Except that Ashley makes it really easy on me. Because she doesn't want elaborate, expensive gifts. Super easy. It's really hard for me to, to mess it up, actually. Because all that Ashley wants for her birthday is a caramel brulee latte, Christmas music on, and we decorate the house for Christmas. That's it. Like, if I can do that, I'm golden, right? So very easy, but I need to make sure that I protect that day and I don't let any other distractions get in the way, right? And that we're ready to go. And I might be putting words into Ashley's mouth, but I think that decorating for Christmas that one day, I think that's something that she, because she loves Christmas so much, she loves that season, I think she looks forward to that day all year long. Do you have a day to which you look forward all year long, every single year? Well, maybe it is Christmas for you. Oh, the, the sights and the sounds, the decorations, the, the feeling that's in the air, the time that you get to spend with your family, your birthday. I think that kind of changes whether you're five or six or seven, eight, nine, or 50, 60, 70, 80, 90. Maybe the, the way we look at our birthday kind of changes. Your anniversary date. As you remember the, the joy and the jewel of your life in your wife. Or you remember the, the strong, dependable man who leads your family, your husband, and, and you celebrate the blessing and the, the union that you have together. What day do you look forward to every single year, all year long? And if you are or you were a Jewish person, a religiously practicing Jewish person, then that day would be Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. Actually, it was last month. For a Jewish person, that is the day. And we might just see it on our Google calendars and kind of just pass it by, but for them, that was the highlight of their religious and ceremonial life. Everything centered on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. And we have the details prevent, presented for us here <coughs> in Leviticus 16. And this is the, the very heart of the Torah or the Pentateuch, which is the first five books of the Hebrew Scriptures, where the exact same first five books of our Bible Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Did you notice where Leviticus fell? It's the third book out of five. It's right in the, the center. And Leviticus chapter 16 is the 18th speech in the book of Leviticus that has 36 speeches. 
So again, right in the center. This chapter, the Day of Atonement, it is the very beating heart of Jewish religious life. It is the beating heart of the Torah, the, the most important part of their scriptures, their life, their, their religion, their year. Everything was centered on the Day of Atonement. And it was always held on the 10th day. 10 is a number that signifies completeness. The 10th day of the 7th month. And seven's a number that had to do with the Sabbath and Sabbath rest, reminding them of the rest of God. And so the Day of Atonement was a complete day of rest for the people of Israel. And rest was something that they desperately needed. Because if you read the, the first half of the book of Leviticus, you would read about all the laws, all the things that would make you unclean. When you're unclean, you're, you're separated from God. You can't be in His presence because He is a holy God and He's majestic. You're, you're unworthy of that if you're unclean. <clears throat> and as you would read Leviticus chapters 1 through 15, You'd hear item after item, condition after condition, unclean, 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 over and over and over again. Some of them just, just physical things that happen to everyone. And so you would very quickly realize it is impossible for me to stay clean. Eventually there is something that is going to make me unclean. Now, do you think that God just did that because he wanted to put an oppressive, unbearable burden on his people? Did God just want to be vindictive like that? Or could it be that God wanted to impress upon his people, wanted to impress upon us a much greater, much more important message? That this ceremonial uncleanliness might actually be a, a picture for something deeper. That God wanted to impress upon them and on us just how <coughs> impossible it is to remain spiritually clean. To live without sin. Something eventually that you do or you fail to do will disqualify you from the presence of a holy God because His holiness is too consuming. And so it was on this day, the Day of Atonement was the only day on which the high priest and only the high priest would enter into the innermost part of the tabernacle or the temple, the place of worship for God's people. That innermost part that was called the Holy of Holies. The place where God said that His visible presence on earth would dwell. In all of its glory and majestic holiness, it would be there. And so only on this day 
would the high priest go in. And he would dress in these simple white linens. It wasn't his normal, ornate, priestly regalia that he would usually wear when he was serving as the high priest before the people because those clothes were to signify that he represented God to the people. But on this day, he represented the people before God. So he wore those simple, plain clothes. He had to make sacrifices for his own sin, the sin of his family, and then the sins of all the people. And then he could enter into the holy place. And we hear that in this section from Leviticus chapter 16 where it says, Aaron is to offer the bull for his own sin offering to make atonement for himself and his household. Then he is to take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meaning. He is to cast lots for the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other for the scapegoat. Aaron shall bring the goat whose lot falls to the Lord and sacrifice it for a sin offering. But the goat chosen by Lot as the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to be used for making atonement by sending it into the wilderness as a scapegoat. This is so interesting. There's two goats, but it's one sin offering. They're to be seen as a unit. Jewish tradition tells us that when God's people would select these two goats, they would make sure that they were as identical as possible. Same size, same shape, same color and pattern of their coats, same shape to their horns, as identical as possible because they were to be seen as one. One goat to die, to shed its blood for the sins, to be sprinkled over all the people for their forgiveness. And then the other goat that Aaron would place his hands over and he would confess all the sins of the entire people, the entire community, put them on that goat, and then it was to be led off into the wilderness. And the guy who had that job, he had a very specific, very detailed job. You do not let that goat come back. You make sure you get as far away, get him as confused as possible because that goat cannot be seen again. It had to be lost to the wild. And so God painted two remarkable pictures here for his people, especially in that second goat. The first is the way we have it translated here, the, the scapegoat. Uh, Pastor Ben from our Doral campus, he sent me this picture this week. And he said, if you ever wanted to use Charles Barkley and quote him in a sermon message, this is your chance. So I took it. Well, Charles Barkley there, quote, commenting on, on the Brooklyn basketball team there. Scapegoat. We use this phrase, right? And ever since the entrance of sin and evil into the experience of humanity... We have wanted to try to pin blame on someone else, pin the problem on someone else so that they can face the consequences, so that they can deal with it. They have to be responsible. I want to pass the buck. 
But when it comes to God, we cannot create our own scapegoat. We have to stand before God and take responsibility for our own actions, our disobedience. We have to face the consequences, the separation that would come. Unless God is the one who gives the scapegoat. Which is exactly what God did. God wanted his people to see this clearly, that all their sin, all their guilt, all their shame had been pinned to that goat. And that goat took it far, far away, never to be seen again. There's also another picture here. Uh, The term that we have translated as scapegoat, and really where we get that English word from is this section of God's word. But that term there, it could also be translated as Azazel. This is the Hebrew for it up on the screen. And lots of Hebrew scholars, they actually favor this approach, translating it as a proper name that it represents a person. Azazel is the idea of a demonic force that exists and resides out in the wilderness, in the wild. Or God's people be the leader of the demon, Satan himself. In fact, in modern Hebrew, if you say, Lach Azael, what you're saying is, go to hell. This goat would go to Azazel, to that demonic force, and it would proclaim to Satan that all the sins of God's people were no longer attached to them. They could no longer serve as ammunition for his accusations. He could no longer threaten them or haunt them with their goat. It was gone, removed forever. No longer attached to them. And so there's very deep meaning that's found in these rituals. The Day of Atonement, it delivered forgiveness collectively for the entire nation, for all their sins. And everything that should have separated them from the holy, almighty, righteous God who led, fed, and protected them every single day. And so the people, they watched and they witnessed in this unique public spectacle spectacle how their sins were forgiven and they were set free. And it was amazing. But it had to be done every single year. And God wanted his people to understand that even this detailed ritual couldn't fully and completely repay their debt of sin. Up on the screen, this man's name is Raphael Rowe. He was wrongfully convicted of murder in 1990 in the UK. He spent 12 years in prison before his sentence was overturned. He now serves as the host of a show 
called Inside the World's Toughest Prisons. So Raphael, he takes on the persona of a prisoner and he goes into the prison as a prisoner for a week to see what prison life is like inside this toughest prison in the world. What I found really, really interesting uh, is a couple of episodes of that show that I watch is that he, he talks to the, the fellow inmates. He gets to know them and their story. He wants to figure out what's in their heart and what's in their minds. And so many of them, they feel stuck. Stuck in the, the life that they live, a life of greed, of stealing, intimidation, anger, murder. And they feel stuck. But some of them, they know that they have a a debt to pay. They they want to repay it back to society. They're trying to find ways out of that life and and ways that they can repay their debt. But many of them know that there's nothing that they could ever do that would fully repay the debt that they have. It drew me in intrigued me and I think it might intrigue and draw many of us in because I think we can relate. You might not be a hardened criminal serving a sentence in a world's toughest prison, but do you feel like you have a debt to repay? Do you feel guilt on your heart? Maybe you don't reside inside of an eight-foot by six-foot concrete cell. But do those walls of guilt that are around your heart, do they feel just as constricting? Is it something that's, that's always there haunting you, never letting go? You're always feeling like it's right there, right behind your shoulder. You're constantly looking around, trying to get rid of it, trying, trying to get it off your heart. I'm talking to everyone. Whether or not you believe in the divine, holy God of the Bible who demands holiness and perfection from you or not, I think we all wrestle with guilt. Wrongs and, and past mistakes that just stick with us. We can't let go. And if you've ever felt that way, if you've ever felt that burden of guilt, then I want you to know the God of the Bible. And I want you to know the history of his people because I want you to see Jesus. In the New Testament book, the the writer to the Hebrews, he wrote this, and he said, the law, which includes everything that we're reading today from Leviticus chapter 16, The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. Even the Day of Atonement couldn't get the job done. And God knew that. And God declared that. But God wanted the spectacular day of atonement to point people to a spectacular Savior, Jesus. 
The reality of everything that God had his people do on the Day of Atonement is found in Jesus. They were a shadow. They were to point us to look for the, the truth that was coming. And it points us to Jesus Christ, our Savior. Our entire lives are centered on Jesus. He is the great high priest that we need who stands before God and represents us to God, His holy, majestic Father. In humility, Jesus humbled Himself and He stripped Himself of His glorious regalia in the throne of heaven to be clothed in our plain and simple flesh and blood. To be that true sin offering that we needed. And Jesus was able to accomplish what was impossible for goats to do. Remember, there are two goats, right? One that died, one that lived. But they were a unit. Jesus died on the cross. He spilled his blood, the blood that was sprinkled over all of us to cleanse us and free us from our sins. The Bible proclaims that. The Bible also proclaims that Jesus not only died, but Jesus lives. Jesus rose again from the dead in victory and triumph over the grave. And as part of his resurrection, he descended into hell. He went lach la'azael to declare his victory. To tell that leader of the demon, Satan himself, who torments us so much, to tell him that our sin is no longer attached to us. We have been set free. It is gone for good. And Satan can no longer use it to accuse us. He can no longer threaten us with it. He can no longer haunt us with that guilt and shame because it's gone. Never to return. Jesus carried it far, far away. Never to be a burden on your shoulders again. And so when you feel that burden, when you feel that guilt pressing in on your heart, just look around. That goat's not there anymore. It's gone. And when we see Jesus here, we get to rejoice in him. And now this next part is going to be really, really cheesy. Okay, but it fits, so... We're talking about goats. There's been a lot of talk about goats lately in our world. You heard that? The goat, the greatest of all time, maybe it's with a football player, baseball player. Well, Jesus is the goat. Jesus is the greatest sacrifice of all time. And Hebrews puts it this way. When this high priest had offered for all time the one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. For by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Those are all absolutes. For all time. One sacrifice, perfect, forever. Dear friends, you can rest. No, really, you can, you can let go of all your striving, all your trying to make up for your guilt. 
You can rest in who Jesus has made you to be, who God has made you to be, holy and perfect in his sight. And you can just live out who God has made you to be. And so can I add another day to that list of days that you look forward to every single year? And no, it's not Yom Kippur. Because when you see Jesus here, you understand that he has fulfilled everything that the law was about. And so we don't have to celebrate Yom Kippur each and every year as the people of Israel did. But what about Good Friday? The day where we remember that Jesus is that sacrifice who shed his blood for the sins of the entire community of people all the world. Or Easter. Where we remember that Jesus not only died, but he lives. And he has made that proclamation that your sin, your guilt, it is no longer attached to you. And we can look forward to every single day when we see Jesus. When we see Jesus, we can rejoice every day of the year when you see Jesus as your atonement and your scapegoat, your God-given scapegoat. Amen? Amen.